Crown of Thorns by Iris Bluefick Chapter 17 Modest yet refined 1. Consultation She's bringing what? asked Crowley, stupefied. And who? The Hunger Games, repeated Aziraphale patiently. It's out on DVD and Blu-rays and such now. And Robert, you know her daughter's boy. She's got him this week while Nicola and her husband are on holiday in Provence. They ought to have taken the child, if you ask me. Travel from a young age does them a world of good. Blu-ray, Crowley corrected him. And too little results in army base playgrounds and backyard inquisitions, he thought, fetching a dishcloth to wipe down the table. Robert is five, he said. What's that film rated? I mean, I remember the books from when you blitzed them a couple of years ago. Not what I'd call standard fare for a toddler. He speaks in fully formed sentences and excels at basic maths, said Aziraphale, hastily taking the dishcloth off him. My dear, please let me. He's old enough for those dreadful video games full of guns and gore, so why not this film? Crowley stood back and folded his arms, watching Aziraphale make an extravagant show of herding the crumbs from breakfast and lunch into a soggy pile at the far end of the table. He hoped the mouse had got a few. What time are they coming? Six o'clock, and I promised we'd sort out nibbles said Aziraphale, cringing, using the cloth to brush the crumbs into his palm. He marched them over to the bin with a grimace that Crowley ought to have photographed with his mobile. Why? It's Monday, Crowley said. Movie night is Wednesday, unless it's cancelled. Aziraphale was busy scrubbing his hands clean under the tap. Which means... Which means I have a Skype date with Uriel, Crowley said. Since when? Aziraphale asked, drying his hands. Every Monday since the one after the weekend we took Pippa and Mandy to London. So three weeks now, said Aziraphale. Can't you cancel? Surely she'll understand. No, Crowley told him, turning to face the worktop. He took down a single mug and punched the switch on the kettle. There was no explaining that Pippa was half the reason for tonight's chat to begin with. He needed advice, and he needed it from a sane person. He'd have asked Sophia, but her M.A. dissertation was riding her hard. Aziraphale stepped up behind him, reaching around to take the mug from his hand. I had forgot, he says, his cheek pressed to Crowley's ear. What would you like? Ah. <sighs> Anything that's not that stupid caffeine-free rubus, Crowley sighed. You can just nip out when it's time, Aziraphale said, setting the mug down. I'll have nipped out by then anyway if the film's paced properly, he said. Aziraphale sucked in his breath and let it out again, acknowledgement of deep error. You needn't watch at all, he said. Apologies, I should know better by now. Shut up said Crowley, and kissed him. Tea, and then Tesco, because I want popcorn. You'd better be up on what five-year-olds eat, because I haven't a clue. 
Two mugs of tea and a phone call to Pippa later, they had it on proud Granny's good authority that young Master Rob liked raw carrots, diced up tomatoes, cucumber sticks, and about anything else green he could get his clever little hands on. There might be hope for this one, Crowley thought on their way out of the door. Three hours later, they returned and arranged a full spread that included a few early carrots from the garden. They had an hour and a half to spare, during which time Crowley insisted a nap was in order. Aziraphale sat beside him in bed with a book, although the pretense didn't last long, because, truth be told, Crowley wasn't all that sleepy, and Aziraphale had other warmer ways of making missteps up to him. They'd only just got dressed again when the doorbell rang. "'Your timing's getting better,' Crowley said, dodging a tossed pillow. When they answered the door, Rob vaulted himself straight at Aziraphale. "'I learned a new magic trick from Mum,' he exclaimed. "'Then you must show me later,' said Aziraphale, swinging the boy from side to side until he'd managed to extract a giggle. In the meantime, we've got plenty for you to eat, and your grands brought an exciting film for us to watch together. Rob turned to watch Crowley, who hadn't managed to extract himself from Pippa. Well, how's it going? she hissed in his ear. Any luck yet? No, Crowley said, making his escape. He straightened his shirt and looked at Rob. How are you then? Crowley asked. I haven't seen you since Christmas. Mum says when I'm older there are things I can put in my eyes to make them look like yours. It's not exactly the same, but I'm sure nobody will know the difference. They're called contact lenses, Crowley said, and I think that sort are for Halloween costumes. They can cause allergic reactions, I've heard, so you'd best be careful. Some people wear them all the time, Rob insisted. My eyes are starting to get blurry. I can't even read that, he said, pointing to the calendar on the wall. Mum says we'll have a discussion with the optics man, who's a lady at my next checkup. Very good, Rob, my lad, said Pippa, taking him from Aziraphale. Run along and have some veggies while we set up the film. She turned to Crowley and set her hand on his shoulders. Oh, bless him, there's no hearing the end of it. Sorry. At least he doesn't want piercings. Crowley said, wrestling a bag of popcorn out of its wrapper. I hope you'll forgive my absence, he added. I've got a video chat date in half an hour. He put the bag in the microwave and slammed it shut. Uriel's very determined to keep in touch, Aziraphale explained. Oh, well, surely you'll be wanting to nip off and say hello too. We can hit pause. There's really no need said Crowley, on either count. She has a point, said Aziraphale. I might nip in and say hello. Crowley's gut twisted uncomfortably. She wanted to ask my advice on something. Pippa gave Crowley a knowing look, which she instantly turned on Aziraphale. Let the bright young things have their secrets, she chided, catching his sleeve. Come on, I've been dying for you to see this. They've done a marvellous job. They vanished into the sitting room, leaving Crowley alone with Rob's gleeful crunching and the sound of popping corn. 
The boy hopped down from his chair, plate of veggies in hand, and wandered over to stand beside Crowley at the microwave. Uriel's not your girlfriend, is she? He asked worriedly. I thought you were taken. I am, Crowley told him. I'm with that silly man in there, and don't you forget it. You'll learn the difference, schoolyards being what they are. Uriel's a friend. Who's a girl? Rob added, sticking a carrot in his mouth. I was just making sure. How conscientious of you, Crowley said, taking the boy by the shoulders. Now off you go to see Gran and Aziraphale. They've got the title screen up and running. I've seen it already, said Rob. With Mum and Dad. There's lots of blood. I've heard, Crowley said, ushering him along. I don't know if that's my thing. I'll watch it again, just for you, said the boy bravely, and report back. How very considerate, Crowley said, leaving him next to the sofa, enduring amused glances from Pippa and Aziraphale as he crossed the room, ducked into the study and closed the door firmly behind him. The computer was just as he'd left it, turned on, with Skype booted up, and damn it, Uriel's call was already ringing through. Sorry? Crowley exclaimed, clicking rapidly and adjusting the webcam. Sorry, hi. Uriel's image feed went from grainy to crystal clear. She beamed at him. Let me guess, she said as he adjusted the sound. Surprise, Pippa? Is there any other kind? Crowley asked. The grandson, too. The one from Christmas? You said he was adorable. Did I? Crowley asked. Must have been drunk at the time. You were, Uriel replied. I hope somebody got you two dancing on video. One blue eye and a strand of fiery auburn hair invaded the feed. You're blocking my view, Crowley told them irritably. Hey there, said Raphael, drawing back until the rest of his face was visible. What's up on your side of the pond, darling? Where's our favorite principality? Get the hell out of here, Uriel said, shoving him roughly. The camera went wonky, and all Crowley could see was some papers and a purple gel pen on her desk, until the camera righted itself again, and her apologetic expression filled the lens. He's having one of his douchebag days, but you could probably already tell. Where were we? Fiercely hoping nobody had caught Aziraphale and me on video, Crowley said. Let me see it again. Uriel said, resting her chin on her hand. It was so dark out there, and then, of course, we all just kind of stumbled to bed, and... Well, what happened in the morning bumped getting a closer look off my list of priorities. I thought you must have had a good look when you traced it, Crowley asked, removing the ring. He held it up to the lens of his webcam, adjusting the distance until the likeness in the moulded glass was clear. Even in simulacrum, it was perfect. Nope, Uriel said, her silvery eyes widening slightly as she studied it. I just told him where he'd have to focus his energy as far as retrieval. It's so pretty, she said. Put it back on. I don't want you to drop it. I'd never forgive myself if the glass cracked. Crowley twisted it back onto his finger. I don't even know where to begin, he said. I got your email, and I've been thinking about those few ideas you mentioned, Uriel replied. I think he'd have a fit if you were to buy a snuff box and have it torn apart. He'd always regret not seeing what it looked like in its original form. 
Also, silver tarnishes very easily, and I doubt he'd be the sort to conscientiously remove a ring for purposes of bathing or doing dishes. If he can sit and read for three days and nights without interruption, he's damn well gonna put the thing on and leave it. Right. Crowley said, crestfallen. He ticked great idea number one off his list. Next up, the tire iron. Personally, I think that's incredible, but I've seen that thing. It's as old as your car, and the metal's pitted and worse for wear. You'd end up kicking yourself if you cannibalized even a little bit of it for melting down. Just like the car, it's got memories attached. You'd do better to keep it in one piece. Why is she always right? Crowley asked the ceiling. If I'm actually wrong, you can tell me. Uriel reassured him. But you're not. Crowley sighed. Great idea number two bit the dust. That leaves the option of some other type of custom job, Uriel said. But I know you're hesitant to spend money, and you have a point about the inherent difficulty. Aziraphail is either totally unfussed or fucking picky, and I have no idea which end of his spectrum a ring would fall on, given I've never even seen him wear one. My prospects for pulling this off, then, Crowley said, are nil. Great idea number three didn't just go down like a lead balloon. It took out some floorboards on the way. Don't give up hope, Uriel said, reaching for the screen, as if to touch his face. Her fingers stopped short and dropped to the desk, planting themselves on the gel pen. I'm the wrong person to ask, she said, fiddling with it. I don't have much use for jewellery unless it's cheap earrings. The humans you guys have been hanging out with might have a better sense for what his inclinations might be. Although Pippa... Is a pain in the arse, so let's not go there. Crowley finished for her. Please don't cry. You look like you might. You know so many clever people, and... Crowley pinched the bridge of his nose. Let's not talk about this anymore. They spent the next 45 minutes discussing the improbability of Shadwell and Tracy ever formally tying the knot, although it was clear from Uriel's vague distraction and furrowed brow that she was running just as many eBay searches as he was. Why were Regency-era men's rings so gaudy in comparison to the delicate wonders wrought for women? He couldn't see Aziraphale sporting a huge square of polished opal any sooner than he could approve of all those ungainly three-stone settings. Just then, Aziraphale potted in with a mug of tea and a bowl of popcorn. Crowley hastily clicked the browser shut and turned around. I wondered if you'd turn up, Uriel said. That's better room service than I ever get. Aziraphale set the food down on the desk beside Crowley's arm and bent to kiss his temple. Crowley tilted his head up and kissed Aziraphale on the mouth, hoping his agitation wouldn't show. Aziraphale touched his cheek, brow furrowed. Loo break for the little one, he explained. Hello, dear girl. Nearly finished? Nearly, Crowley said, cutting Uriel off. How's the film? Unexpectedly gripping. Aziraphale said. Coming up on the worst of it, I fear. I'll keep him busy, Uriel promised, crossing her fingers. Scout's honour. I'll leave you to it, Aziraphale said, helping himself to a few pieces of popcorn. We might have been on to something, Uriel told Crowley once he was gone. Clearly we weren't, said Crowley, frowning. 
explain? Not what, she said, idly scribbling on her wrist. Think who. Two. Aggravation. It was several days before Crowley got enough time alone to make the call. Aziraphale had arranged to meet Anathema at the local historical society for a chat, a tricky case apparently that called for research skills slightly more practised than even a human as clever as Anathema could boast. And a chat normally meant five or six hours of poring over books and going, mm-hmm, at each other. Crowley clicked through the neatly organised tabs in Aziraphale's address book. If there was anything he'd learned since they'd moved in together, it was that Aziraphale religiously upgraded both his machines and his operating systems. He'd switched from Apple to PC sometime in the mid-90s, and Crowley still wasn't sure he approved. There it was. Shadwell, Tracy, household. Shangri-La, Folkestone, Kent. He experienced a moment of deep gratitude that they hadn't moved to Dover. Crowley's fingers faltered a bit on the keypad of his mobile. Hello, love, answered a motherly voice. Sadly, Madame Tracy no longer draws aside the veil unless it's a private function at a very good fee. How can I help? Uh, hi, Crowley said. It's me. Lovely seeing you at the wedding, by the way. Crowley, how nice! said Madame Tracy. Lovely seeing you and the husband, too. Crowley scratched the side of his neck. How's Shadwell keeping? He seemed a bit worse for wear by the end of the evening. I trust he's fully recovered by now. You know how he is once he's had a few pints in him, love. He only means well. Yes, wonderful, Crowley said, leaning hard on the desk. I was wondering... Is everything all right between you two? asked Madame Tracy, concerned. If it's not, I'd be the last to know, Crowley told her. It is to do with Aziraphale, though, and I thought you might be able to point me in the right direction. Last time you rang up, you were in a right state, sighed Madame Tracy. We uh, agreed to disagree, said Crowley. This is a happier matter. Lady love, asked Madame Tracy dubiously. I'd have put the kettle on by now. That's very touching, Crowley said, rising and heading for the kitchen. I'll do it for you if you like. Just listen. You saw the ring, I'm sure, as perceptive as you are. And now I haven't got a bloody clue where to start with the Xerophales, and I thought... Thing, she said, her voice soft and wondering. Oh, dear Thing, congratulations. Crowley covered his eyes and cursed silently at the kettle, which was as slow as ever. I thought everybody had noticed, but no, Mandy and Pippa hadn't either. So leave it to Uriel and Rafe to be the only ones splendid, right? Crowley babbled, pulling his thoughts back on task. I want to get one for Aziraphale. That's how it's done, yeah? You exchange rings. You, in the general sense, of course, as I wouldn't presume. We did the paperwork a long time ago, said Madame Tracy. Very low-key. Well, what do you know? Crowley thought. I just want to bet. Then I'm happy for you, 
he said. Did you, uh... Plain gold bands in fifteen carat, she replied. I forget to wear mine half the time. Listen, I hope this isn't rude or anything, but he was in your head for at least a few hours, Crowley said, pushing his tea bag around fretfully with a fork, which was the only piece of silverware he found to hand. I know it was over twenty years ago now, but quite frankly, I can't even boast that kind of extended exposure. And you've kept up correspondence with him over the years, so I just thought... He doesn't spend much time thinking about jewellery, love, chuckled Madam Tracy. Then what was he thinking about, for heaven's sake? Finding a way to Tadfield, of course. Finding that dear, sweet boy. Finding you. Third on the list, sure, Crowley said. Not surprised in the least. You know better than that, Madam Tracy chided him. Now then... Have you considered hitting the antique shops? I'm sure you've scoured eBay and all those other computer things, but sometimes you've got to do it the old-fashioned way. I've been through all of the local ones a dozen times, Crowley said, rummaging in the cupboard for his jar of Italian acacia honey. Couldn't really steal away when I was in London a few weeks ago either, he said. I was surrounded. You know, when I was in Cambridge, years ago, visiting my niece Petula at uni, she mused, I remember browsing the shops. Such a charming town, if you tolerate all those giddy first years running about. Most of them aren't interested in antiques. Then you haven't properly got to know Amanda Tomlin, Crowley thought, although that was a bit irrelevant now, as Mandy was in her third year at Bristol, and just a month off graduating. Humans had got it right. Time did fly, and it was alarming. I hadn't thought of that, he said. And I know somebody who lives there. Pay them a visit, suggested Madam Tracy. You never know what you might find. They spent the next two hours discussing the frustrations of life partners who rarely did housework, unless it was for purposes of sucking up or out of some misplaced sense of guilt. Crowley was pleased to note that Aziraphale's guilt was rarely misplaced these days, and Madam Tracy admitted that she envied him on that score. Aziraphale and Anathema turned up just as he was saying his goodbyes. Don't be a stranger, Madam Tracy told him. Come see us more often, won't you? Crowley waved at Anathema first, who was hovering next to Aziraphale in the doorway, much to his shock, she was dressed closer to the way he remembered her as a young woman. A skirt almost brushed the floor, but it didn't hide her clogs. I'll mention your invitation to Aziraphale, he said. I'm sure we will do. As you young people are fond of putting it, go get him, Tiger, she said, and hung up. You'll mention what, my dear? asked Aziraphale. Who was it? Crowley sat blinking at his phone for a few seconds before responding. Madam Tracy, he said finally. She'd like us to come round more often. She does get awfully chatty, said Aziraphale, offering Crowley his hand. Up with you, my dear. Time for some fresh air. I promised Anathema we'd treat her to lunch. Um, shoes, Crowley said, casting about the room and then looked up at Anathema. You don't mind, do you? He snapped his fingers, and they were suddenly just where they ought to be. Are Sophia and Adam at home this weekend, or at yours? Not at all, 
Anathema said. And uh, what'd you ask? Sophia mentioned some new wine shop she wanted to show me. Crowley lied. Sophia's supposed to come home Saturday evening, Anathema said. Otherwise, she's free. Adam's in Tadfield, because Sarah's in town visiting their parents. Brilliant, said Crowley, finishing off his tea in one gulp. Let's go. Three. Excavation. I won't need it, Crowley insisted. We're meeting at Café Nero. It's a two and a quarter hour's drive, Aziraphale replied, handing him the thermos. An hour and forty-five when I drive it, Crowley said, but he didn't hand the tea back. Aziraphale kissed him, and they stumbled back against the door frame. You'll be back late? he asked, straightening Crowley's sunglasses. Possibly, Crowley said. I promised I'd drive her to her parents' place this evening. That takes you an hour and a half out of your way, Aziraphale sighed. Very well. Crowley opened the door, Thermos clutched to his chest, and paused for a moment. Angel. Hmm? I'll come back, he said, stepping out into the sun. I'll always come back. They stood palm to palm through the glass for a moment, and then Crowley left. The drive seemed less ominous than the last time Crowley had made it, although the primary difference may have been Aziraphale's tea. It took him a while to find parking, however, which necessitated profuse apologies on sighting Sophia in the coffee shop. She situated herself in the back right-hand corner, the exact spot where they'd first met. She snapped her book shut and rose to hug him. Her black hair was impossibly soft against his jaw, several airy wisps escaping her tight fishtail braid. He held on to her like a lifeline. Why she comforted him so, he couldn't say. I got your email, Sophie murmured. You're having a rough time, aren't you? Crowley let go of her and stepped back, adjusting his jacket. Now I know what you... You mean when you say someone's tough to shop for? Sophia narrowed her eyes at him, unblinking, and earnestly studied his face. I'm nearly there. I can't get Mum to talk straight about you two, no matter what. I accept impossible things. I've grown up with quite a number of them just as a matter of course. You're one of those things, aren't you? You and his ear fail, I mean. Crowley smiled nervously, took her offered hand, and gestured towards the door. It's almost eleven, he said. Even the most cantankerous of the lot will be open. I'm sorry, she said, leading him out into the daylight. I shouldn't pry. I'd rather she told you, Crowley admitted, following her past an open-air fruit stand. Or let you work it out for yourself, he said, watching her trail delicate fingertips over cherries, pomegranates and apples. She handed the vendor fifty pence and took one. Sophia gave him a dazzling grin over her shoulder as she walked, and time stopped. The resemblance was there to torment him, he imagined, 
black-haired, headstrong and brave. If any bloodline had half a chance at holding the memory of Eve's likeness fast, he didn't doubt the device family tree one whit. And she'd gone and married Adam. The first one's just up here, she told him. I had a look in the window yesterday. You're proof something went right in spite of it all, he thought, following her inside. The establishment reminded Crowley of every other antique dealer shop he'd ever run across, Aziraphale's included. Dim lighting, dust, and a certain hush. You'd sooner talk in a bloody library. Sophia trailed along the first glass case, carefully concealing the apple in her pocket. It was unusually early in the season to see russets. She'd already taken a bite, tell-tale sheen of juice on her upturned hand. Can I help you? asked the proprietress briskly, looking up from her magazine. No, Sophia reassured her before Crowley could open his mouth. We're just looking. The woman's features softened. She nodded and went back to reading. Crowley paused over a display of Victorian pocket watches. He remembered a time when Aziraphale carried one, although he couldn't say when that had stopped. 1930, perhaps, or 1940. He wouldn't have minded if that feature had stuck around, because pocket watches had never really fallen out of fashion. Hey, said Sophia quietly, there's some gents rings over here. Come and see. They were, as Crowley had feared, nearly all Masonic pieces. The ones that weren't Masonic were signets, engraved with cryptic initials, all of them wrong. There was a shield-shaped one set with coral, and even a split setting with opal and lapis, but he'd seen any number of pieces similar to those on eBay. Not quite right, Crowley said. They're all too clunky and impersonal. Sophia frowned. Now I know what you mean by hard to shop for. They tried three more shops before deciding it was time to get lunch, and none of them proved more helpful than the first. Sophia suggested Rainbow Café. Although it was a popular student hangout, she assured him the food was worth any ambient undergraduate chatter they might have to endure. She managed to tempt him in on the merits of its organic wine list alone. Crowley wasn't sure the Can Vandrell Tinto was going to pair well with his tagine algerienne, but what the hell? Fifteen quid for a bottle of quality Spanish red was difficult to pass up under any circumstances. Sophia learned the hard way that spinach lasagna didn't pair well either. Mum said you guys took her out the other day, she said on her second glass. That's right, Crowley said, pushing couscous and sultanas around on his plate. She and Aziraphale get on, Sophia continued. Does it ever bug you, his social life? Crowley shrugged and emptied the dregs of the wine into his glass. Most of them are friends of mine, too. I'm more of a homebody these days, is all. You're not as good with crowds. There's nothing wrong with preferring one-on-one. Guess I've always been like that, he thought. Where one equals Aziraphale. Sophia almost dropped her fork. Did you... did you just let me? Crowley gave her an innocent look. How did you put it? Just one of those things? 
It's not funny when you grow up with a mum who can do that, she said. It's even less funny when you realize you're reading your younger sisters all the damn time. Unless you make a real effort to shut it out. So, kindly don't take the piss. Your birthright, Crowley told her, is complicated. You'd better get used to it. Adam's part of it, she said, emptying her glass. He must be the wanker. Finish your lasagna, Crowley said. I want to see if they'll sell me another bottle of this stuff on the way out. Much like with her mother, even mild drunkenness gave way to bluntness and cursing. He paid the tab and left with more of the wine. They meandered their way through four more antique shops, before Crowley announced that he'd had it up to here with a non-stop, multi-stone-setting sapphire and ruby nonsense. Still slightly tipsy, Sophia agreed. They made their way to the riverside green behind King's College Chapel and opened the second bottle. I think, Sophia said, passing the wine, you've got to consider later pieces. Crowley took a long swig and gave her a bleary stare, wiping his chin on his sleeve. Later than what? Later than Regency and Victorian. Have you tried searching for Art Deco stuff? Crowley cringed and passed her the bottle. No thanks. The architecture was bad enough. My friend's dad's a jeweler, Sophia said. He sells estate pieces. Anyway, he gave Marjorie this gorgeous platinum ring from around 1920 for Christmas. My point is mostly that platinum would suit Aziraphale better than any shade of gold. Crowley lay back in the grass and considered this, watching some clouds drift by. Maybe, he said. Expensive, though. I mean, guess this once wouldn't hurt. Sophia leaned over him, braid dangling, and plucked off his sunglasses. You hiss when you're drunk, (laughs) she said. Or you hiss when I'm drunk. Either way. Crowley put his arms behind his head and shrugged. Can't be helped. So, platinum? Really? Yeah, she said, setting the sunglasses on his chest and flopped down beside him. Crowley must have drifted off, because the sun was low in the sky when Sophia shook him awake. She must have done too, because there were grass imprints on her chin. Crowley. Sophia whispered, lightly patting his cheek. I've thought of something. What? He asked, replacing his sunglasses. Surely it's too late, though. Too late for the shops, she said. But not what I'm thinking of. Take me home. Crowley knew better than to ignore that kind of quiet urgency. He helped Sophia to her feet, and they walked arm in arm to where he'd left the Bentley, both of them more or less sober by the time they got there. He'd surreptitiously seen to it. This is still warm, Sophia said, examining the thermos when she'd buckled herself in. And it'll never cool, Crowley said, jamming the Bentley into reverse. Have some. Aziraphale's estimate of an hour and a half from Cambridge to West Drayton wasn't too far off, although Crowley managed to cut it by about twenty minutes, 
By the time they pulled up in the device Pulsifer driveway, Crowley had heard Sophia sing along with all the words to his favourite Velvet Underground album. She clearly hadn't got her taste in music from either of her parents. He followed her up the front stairs. Eight o'clock, said Anathema, answering the door. Better than Adam ever did. Mum, shut it, Sophia said. I've got to ask you something. It's important. Before Crowley could so much as say hello, she'd stepped up close and begun to whisper something quick and complicated in Anathema's ear. Her mother stepped back and made a face, as if trying to remember something she had forgotten on purpose. We must have it somewhere, she told Sophia. But if you think I'm digging around in that attic with you, forget it. Why don't you two go up and have a rummage? Sophia hugged Anathema hard, and then beckoned Crowley into the house. The way to the attic was up a rickety pull-down ladder that narrowly missed hitting Sophia on the head. Crowley soldered the connecting joint solid with a glare as he climbed up after her. He'd worry about reversing the process later. The last thing he needed was for Adam Young's new bride to break her neck on his watch. Gah, it's stuffy up here, Sophia wheezed, crawling on all fours to reach a dangling chain. She yanked on it once, and harsh orange light filled the cramped space. Mum said she thinks that what we're looking for is in the device trunk. Crowley disguised his snicker as a violent sneeze. (laughs) What are we looking for? he asked. Treasure, said Sophia gravely. They had to move five or six boxes in order to get at the trunk, which was large, unfriendly, and sported an ancient padlock. Sophia swore under her breath and muttered something about a key, but Crowley touched the lock and it instantly clicked open in his hand. With a wordless nod, they each took a corner of the lid and lifted. Ages ago... Sophia said, leaning to feel around inside while Crowley held the massive thing open. When Mum was on one of her reciting family history kicks, she said something about her paternal great-grandfather being a metalsmith. We have a silver tea service that he made, plus some brass and copper vessels from when he was young and learning the ropes. She drew out a thick sheaf of papers wrapped in a leather wallet that didn't quite contain them and set them aside. He didn't just make housewares. He'd sometimes try his hand at jewellery, too. He'd only ever made that for family, given the cost of precious metals. Mum has a pair of elaborate gold earrings that he made. In fact, I think she wore them to the wedding. Crowley shifted from crouching to kneeling, still bracing the lid up with both hands. Hesitantly, he said, Are you telling me... He was making jewellery around the right time, Sophia said, followed by a triumphant exclamation that made Crowley jump. She sat back on her heels and presented a jewellery box covered in moth-eaten dark blue velvet. You can close the trunk. Crowley did as he was told and settled down cross-legged beside her. Sophia brushed a fine layer of dust off the box and opened it. 
To say that the contents of the box would fetch a small fortune was, in Crowley's estimation, grossly short of the mark. The bottom was strewn with bright, winking artefacts in the artificial light. Sophia picked up a few gold rings to study them more closely, rejecting them on the basis of both make and material. Most seemed to be bands etched with abstract floral patterns or signets engraved with initials. She picked aside tangled chains and filigree earrings set with emeralds, revealing another cluster of rings. Diamond and sapphire solitaires. She picked up one piece in polished white metal and eyed the inside of the band. It was thicker than most of the others, and Crowley couldn't see the stone because she was holding it upside down. Birmingham, Sophia said. There's the anchor next to it. 950 Platinum. Do you all go around with a catalogue of family possessions fresh in your minds? Rather than answer, she turned the ring around to study the setting. There. There it was, out of nothing, as if she'd known his mind and wished it so. What is that? Crowley whispered. Between the diamonds, what? Sophia tapped the central stone with her fingernail, held it up to the light. Damned if I know, she said. There's a tiny bit of translucency. Uh, smoky quartz? Crowley closed his eyes. Five hundred dollars he'd won from Uriel. Would it even? Jesus, that old thing, Anathema said, poking her head up through the trapdoor. It's heavy, Sophia said, putting it in Crowley's hands. Whose was it, Mum? Your great-great-grandfather made that for himself, the old miser, Anathema said. In his memoirs, he swears he'll never work with that blessed metal again. I mean, look at how he grooved the band. Carving the mould can't have been easy. Crowley just stared at the ring where it sat in his palm. He didn't dare look up. Mum, said Sophia very softly, we searched all day. There was nothing. He made that in 1918, Anathema said. Mad project in matter times. Crowley held the ring out to her. Your husband should wear it. Anathema didn't take the ring. She fixed Crowley with an ironic look. I offered it to Newt once upon a time, she said. We came across the jewellery box when we relocated from Jasmine Cottage to here. Every time I turned around, I found it sitting on the bathroom sink or the shower ledge. He said it felt strange, just wasn't him, so I put it away again. It looked modest yet refined, I told him. His loss. Stop it, Crowley thought. He held the ring out to Sophia instead. Adam, then, he said. Surely. It's a bit large and all, but I don't doubt... Sophia took Crowley's hand in both of her own, folding the ring into it. Whatever you did all those years ago, she said. I can't even begin to guess. Mum said once that she owed you a debt so great she'd never even begin to pay it back. Presumptuous of me, maybe. But she's standing right there and has no objections. I can't, Crowley said, realising he hadn't blinked in several minutes. I really can't. 
Would a token payment make you feel better? Asked Anathema. Go on, make me an offer. Have you got a fiver in your pocket? I'm sure Sophia would lend you one. I won a bet, said Crowley weakly. But I don't think it's enough. Your bet winnings for my great-grandfather's dead-end project of a ring. Sold. Aren't you even going to ask how much you've made? Sophia asked her mother. Five hundred dollars, as it happens, said Crowley. At a terrible exchange rate. Come on, Anathema said. Stop staring and put it in your pocket. I've made tea. Crowley followed them down the ladder in a daze, fizzling the solder as he went. Four. Illumination. Crowley glanced at the clock as he drove, cursing under his breath. Ten minutes till midnight. He hadn't meant to stay out that late, but how on earth could he have refused the offer of tea after he'd all but been given a device family heirloom that could easily have fetched two thousand quid or more at auction? Crowley flew past Pippa's cottage at seventy miles per hour, noting, nonetheless, that every light appeared to be on. He wondered if Aziraphale had rung her up for a long chat, or if he'd arrive home to find that Aziraphale had gone to see her. Nearly there, he thought, pressing one palm flat to his pocket. Nearly. Two minutes later, he pulled into his own drive. The kitchen windows glowed softly, and even after Crowley had killed the ignition, he couldn't bring himself to vacate the Bentley. He was safe there, safe from the discovery that he hadn't quite got it right after all, or worse yet, that Aziraphale would turn out to have no need. The porch light went on as Aziraphale opened the door. In for a penny, in for a pound, Crowley thought, and got out of the car. No wine after all, said Aziraphale as he approached with slight disappointment. There were two bottles, Crowley admitted, climbing the stairs, but we drank them. She'll have needed a day off, Aziraphale said. My dear, come in. It's chilly. Crowley held the door open, frozen there on the threshold. Aziraphale took another step backward onto the kitchen tile, expectant. I couldn't have planned this, thought Crowley, and swallowed hard. He let go of the door and took off his sunglasses, sticking them in his pocket one-handed. He snagged the ring unseen with his pinky to make sure it wouldn't get away. Crowley, is something the matter? Aziraphale asked. He thought about the last time he'd been in this position— it had been over the matter of a sodding plaque, which hung above his head, even as they spoke. He'd never had a knack for surprises, but they were worth it if Aziraphale was on the receiving end. I hope not, Rowley said, withdrawing his hand from his pocket. He fisted the ring against the hem of his jacket and reached for Aziraphale's left hand with terrified determination. It was a bit far, so he stepped forward and tripped. How he'd managed to keep hold of the ring he wasn't certain, especially not with the Aziraphale, grave and concerned, bent over to help him up on his knees. "'You're not hurt,' Aziraphale murmured, touching his cheek. 
Not a question. It was never a question. I will be if I've got this wrong, Crowley said, taking hold of Aziraphale's left hand again and sliding the ring into place. Sizing on the spot was easy. It would burn about as much as Aziraphale materialising his own ring into place had done. Instead of flinching, Aziraphale lifted his hand up to the porch light and stared. Caray cut diamonds, he said slowly, his voice clipped. These are rare, Crowley. I didn't do anything stupid, Crowley babbled, using Aziraphale's dangling right hand to haul himself to his feet. Don't ask me where it came from, that'll spoil the moment. Oh, what do I know? Maybe you've guessed. All you need to know is that I've been to hell and back again in order to find it. Metaphorically, of course, and I... Aziraphale drew him inside with a crushing kiss, slammed the door behind them with a thought. You didn't need to, he said against Crowley's mouth. You're enough. Nonsense, managed Crowley, giddy enough to feel light-headed. It's tradition. Aziraphale kissed him again. We'll not hear the end of it. We weren't going to anyway, Crowley said, grinning helplessly. He'd email Anathema's bank details to Uriel, but definitely not tonight. Crown of Thorns will continue in Chapter 18. <laughs> <laughs>